Good morning, everyone. This is Chris Peters. If you're listening on live stream or on the audio, one of the pastors here, community pastor of leadership development, and I am really excited to be with you all this morning to be sharing. We are in this series, Old and New, and we're learning about the fact that there are these events and themes that happen in the Old Testament that are very powerful, but then we see them grow and and move through the scriptures, and then we see them fulfilled and completed in the New Testament. And so this whole series is sort of see, see these themes and these streams or these threads of an idea develop in scripture. And I'm just really excited to be with you this morning because the topic this morning is probably one of my favorite topics to do this with. You know, I grew up, I was born in the 60s, 66, and so there was a movie when I was growing up called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Maybe you've seen it. Harrison Ford, one of the greatest, biggest movies of the past. And in this movie, it talks about the Ark of the Covenant. It talks about the tabernacle. And that's what I'm speaking about this morning. So I'm really excited because I think there's some incredible, mind-blowing realities that we can learn from this idea of the tabernacle and apply it to our own life. I've heard it said, this is about God establishing an address and about tracing God moving his address throughout the scriptures. So this morning, as we get started, will you just uh, pray with me as we get started this morning? Lord, on this beautiful, crisp fall morning, may we meet you here. You are present. May you guide and guard our hearts, and may as we open your word, and as I share what you have laid on your hearts, on my heart, may it be your words to us this morning. So I thank you for all those who are gathered, whether by live stream, audio, or here in person. May you, Lord, encourage us and speak to our hearts this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, in the book of Exodus, we hear of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. He gets other regulations about how to live as God's new and covenant people, and he also gets basic instructions on how to lead the invasion into the land of Canaan. But Moses was also given the blueprint for the tabernacle, the portable sanctuary where God promised that he would dwell among his people until a more permanent house could be built later on in Jerusalem, this development of an idea of God's house, a place where God would dwell, first in the tabernacle, and then it would develop over the centuries to be a temple in Jerusalem. Thirteen of the last 16 chapters of Exodus refer to either the instructions for building the tabernacle or building the tabernacle. So if you read through the book of Exodus, that last 15, 14 chapters is all about that. And the word tabernacle literally means the place of dwelling. And so I want to start reading this morning from the book of Exodus, chapter 25. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says, The Lord said to Moses, 
Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for, from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Offerings are of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed in red hides and acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. This is what it says. This is our starting text this morning. It says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God makes this incredible promise of his presence in the tabernacle. You see, in the tabernacle, God gave a powerful, visible manifestation of his presence. That he was going to be with his new covenant people that were being formed. To display his grace, his power, his glory. And one of the things I want you to hear right away this morning is, is that God, this is not man's idea. Hey, we should build a house for God. God initiates his presence and takes the first step. It's a sign of God's love moving towards his people. God dwelling in their midst. God living among his people. You know, at this time, the tabernacle was a portable tent. It was the dwelling place of God. It was called also the tent of meeting. There was a previous tent of meeting that Moses met in outside of the camp, but this new tabernacle was the tent of meeting that would be in their midst. And it was about 1300 B.C., about 1300 years before Christ would come. And at this time, God's people are a nomadic people. God says he will lead them and promise to be with them. And during their, their journeys, as they wandered, when the Israelites stopped for a time, the tabernacle would be erected in the center of the nation's camp. Perhaps you can see the graphic. And all of the tribes would camp around the tabernacle gathered in the center. You know, God's presence would be uniquely displayed in the center of camp with the cloud or the fire, and God's presence would be uniquely revealed in the tabernacle. Now, God's presence was never completely limited to the tabernacle, but he focused his presence and his glory there. Now, the design of the tabernacle consisted of three divisions. There's the outer courtyard where there was an altar, of burnt offerings where the priests would offer the offerings. There was a bronze basin where people would come, the priests would come and cleanse before they moved closer to being in the presence of the Lord. There was the holy place where there was a incense that was offered up that represented the prayers of the people. There was the table of showbread that was called also the bread of the presence. And there were 12 loaves of bread that represented the tribes of Israel. There was also a lampstand that reflected, that lit up the room in the holy place. And there was also the innermost place of the tabernacle was called the most holy place, or you might have heard it referred to as the holy of holies. It was constructed as a perfect cube. 
In it, it contained the Ark of the Covenant. It was filled with manna from the wilderness wanderings and the copies of the Ten Commandments. And this Ark was most of all the symbol of God's special relationship with his people. On top of the Ark was called the cover or the mercy seat. And there on it were two cherubim who were facing one another, bent over like this, and it was revealed, God revealed, said he was going to dwell on that mercy seat cover, and his presence would dwell in the midst of the cherubim. The reason it's called a mercy seat is because it was considered that that's where the Lord was seated. It's also been referred to as the Lord's footstool, where heaven and earth meet. The Lord is seen to be enthroned between the two cherubim and is also called the mercy seat because once a year, the high priest sprinkled blood to make atonement for Israel's sins, atoning for his own sins and for the sins of the people by sprinkling blood of bulls and goats on the mercy seat. And so immediately already in the tabernacle, we see God and man connecting through being reconnected through the shedding of blood. The only people who would go inside the tabernacle were the priests, the Aaronic priests. And uniquely in the nation of Israel, there was only one location for the sacrifices. There was only one door to enter into the tabernacle. And it foreshadows Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, in order to understand the purpose and the promise of this tabernacle that I'm referring to, here are a few things that you can know that I've learned over the past years in studying this. One is there was incredible high quality of the materials, gold, silver, jewels, and all this was intended to communicate God's greatness and God's transcendence. The further you you went into the tabernacle, the more precious and valuable the processions would be. The second is that the Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the tabernacle by this large veil, a huge heavy drape made of fine linen, blue and purple cloth, embroidered with gold cherubim. And this curtain surrounding the most holy place in the center of the tabernacle shows God's moral perfection as symbolized by his need to be separated from the rest because he's holy and we're not. And his separation from that which was common and unclean. The third is that the portable nature of the tabernacle shows God's desire to be with his people on this journey of life. If we go back to the beginning in Genesis, we hear in Genesis 3, 8, that the Lord used to walk with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden during the cool of the day signifying this close and intimate relationship and fellowship that they enjoyed with the Creator before sin caused everything to fall apart. And having sinned, Adam and Eve were banished from Eden and the immediate presence of our holy God. They didn't have that anymore like they did in Eden. And since that day, God's goal and the goal of salvation has been to restore that kind of face-to-face intimate fellowship between the Lord and his people. 
and also the tabernacle and all the furnishings and all the services that happened in the tabernacle led by the priests were a picture of the atonement, the work that Christ would do one day through Jesus to restore his people. Now, if you've read the rest of the Old Testament or encountered any of the prophets or any of the journeys of God's people, whoops, you know that all throughout Israel's history, they struggled to live into this covenant that God had established with them. They failed to embrace the call of God to dwell with him, to put God on display to the nations. And so this idea of God dwelling with his people was an incredible reality, but also was a struggle for God's people throughout the whole Old Testament. Now here, we're going to turn into the Gospels in the New Testament. And what we see is that in the Gospel of John, in the very first chapter, we hear this referred to about Jesus, Jesus being the Word of God. And it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When it says the Word made His dwelling among us, it literally means pitched His tent, which is, I believe, a reference to the tabernacle because literally in all of your scriptures, it makes a footnote and says it could be tabernacled. So Jesus, in a way, came to dwell with his people just as God had foreshadowed in the tabernacle that the people had used for centuries to interact with God. But Jesus came to manifest God's glory in an approachable form, God incarnate with us. And what we see is that Jesus uniquely fulfills and embodies and expands the dwelling presence of God to be God fully visible and expressed in human form in the person of Jesus. Now here's the really incredible thing. Because because of what Jesus did by living his life on this planet, by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection, Jesus accomplished something that now transforms God's ability to be present with his people. You see, Christ's or the Lord's presence is no longer primarily needed to be expressed in a local, limited way like it was in the tabernacle. Jesus, by his work, creates the ability for God to take up residence in every person who is in Christ, a follower of Jesus. Let me give you an example. I was thinking this week of how could I communicate the fact of the change of when the Holy Spirit's presence was uniquely limited and expressed in the tabernacle, and now this idea that the Holy Spirit has been spread wide because of the work of Christ and what he's done, and that the Holy Spirit is available to all believers to be the indwelling presence. Now, I don't know about you, but have any of you ever been to a place called In-N-Out Burger out in California or out west? Anybody? All right. They're really good burgers. I'm a burger guy. 
and they're not available everywhere. They're only available in six states. Even in today's world, you can only go to an In-N-Out Burger in California, Nevada, Utah, Texas, or now they just started in Colorado. And do you know why? Because In-N-Out Burger has a commitment to having fresh ingredients. They don't have any freezers in any of their stores. So they require, in order for the ingredients to be handled well, the beef patties that they make, you have to have a location within 300 miles of their distribution center so that they can handle it properly. And so it's been limited to those areas in the West. Now, here's the point I want to make. When God was revealing his presence in the Old Testament, there was a limit to what God could do because there was not proper ways for humankind to receive the Holy Spirit in their life. But because of Christ's work in the, by, on the cross, where we see the veil torn, and by his resurrection, the new life that he brings, and the cleansing power of the new life of Christ in our life, we can now be a proper, transformed, and holy vessel of, the God's, of God's presence. In the book of Colossians, this is a concept I learned a number of years ago that transformed my walk with God. Paul wrote a letter to the believers in Colossians, and he challenges them with this reality. He says, you know, God has been with you. But I want you to know even more that now Christ is available in you. It says this in Colossians 1.27. It says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is the mystery? What has changed? It used to be God dwelled with his people. But now because of what Christ has done and the pouring out of the Spirit, which you're going to hear about more next week, we can now not just have Christ and us. We have Christ in us, which is our hope of glory. In Romans 8, 9, Paul says this incredible reality that the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit's dwelling is the core reality of being a follower of Christ, meaning that I believe that that's the essential thing, the essential quality of being a follower of Christ. Paul's reference to the Holy Spirit in you is the language of intimacy, Restoring that fellowship with God that the Spirit dwells everywhere, but He uniquely dwells with those who are in Christ, followers of Christ, because what, is, what Christ has done. Just as God once dwelt with, in the tabernacle in a special way, now He dwells uniquely in you and I. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
So this reference to the Spirit being in you even more than an idea of intimacy is of constancy. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon a person for a limited time, for a limited assignment, and then would leave a person. But what Jesus is promising, what he promised in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, he says that he would send the Holy Spirit to be with you and I forever. Jesus says this in John 14, 16, 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So the good news this morning, the incredible reality is that the Holy Spirit is not merely a visitor for you and I, not just a house guest, not just someone who passes through, but one who permanently dwells within you and I. And what a promise for you and I to cling to this morning. As I read earlier, Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now this is the key insight I hope that you are going to remember and take with you as you hear this. Is it, It's not that you and Jesus make a good team. And that you can live your life and work and go on. And then when you get weak or you need help, you tag off and then Jesus comes and helps. Because I believe that the Christian life is impossible without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what could never be done before because of what Christ has so completely done. You and I need Christ's power to live this Christian life. He lives in us, and we become, as you've heard from 1 Corinthians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what a revolutionary thing for us to imagine that we're compared to that Old Testament tabernacle, that localized presence of God's power, now saying, hey, you are a temple of God's Holy Spirit. here's what I want you to take away. Is that there's an incredible promise of Christ's presence. As we think about what the tabernacle was like in the Old Testament and God's desire to dwell and be in fellowship with his people. What I want you to hear is is that God, when God looks at you, he sees his child. He sees the Holy Spirit at work within you. God's presence dwells inside of me and dwells inside of you. And it's an incredible assurance to you and I when we face challenges in this world. The Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as a deposit or a guarantee of God's work. A number of years ago, my son Bryce and I went and bought him. He wanted to get a different truck, so we went to... Uh, Borgman Ford, I believe it was, and we found a truck that he liked, and when we were interested in that particular F-150, they said, if you're interested, we need you to put down a deposit. And so we put down that deposit, 
couple thousand dollars, and that was going to allow us to go secure the financing we need so then we could buy the truck and make it our own. And so when I talk about the Holy Spirit being a deposit in our own lives, it indicates that God's serious about you and I. It's a spiritual reminder of God's presence that he's going to begin what he began in you. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a sign that in the struggle of this world, you and I belong to someone else. So my question to you this morning is, does the Holy Spirit live inside you? Have you accepted this person of Jesus and said, Lord, I want you to be the leader and Lord of my life. I need your forgiveness. I need to be cleansed, just as was pictured in the tabernacle. Because if you pray that prayer and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need you. The Holy Spirit will take up resonance in you in a different way because you've been transformed by the power of Christ. Maybe in a different way, right now, God feels distant. Maybe you're in a time where life is hard. Maybe you're experiencing a physical difficulty or a family difficulty, a work difficulty in some ways, and you're wondering, you know, I don't feel God's presence right now. The clouds are obstructing my experience of God's presence. And what I want you to hear this morning is that this deposit, this guarantee of the Holy Spirit in our life should reassure you and say, God is with you. God is with you. Even when you don't feel it, you can claim the reality that I will give you another counselor who will be with you forever. One of the things I've been learning over the past number of weeks as we've been doing our studies at 1015 in the music room here at church is that in, in, the, in the Middle East culture, temples were built to put God on display. Temples were built like the Parthenon to the goddess Athena in the Greek culture or in several different cultures. Temples were built to put God on display. And so this morning, I want to challenge you, if you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we have God, the risen Christ, at work in our lives, that you and I are called, equipped, empowered, transformed to abide with Christ, to recognize his power that is at work in our lives, and to allow his, the Holy Spirit to put God on display with your life. To live and follow Jesus like you mean it. And this isn't a try harder, try harder to live for God. It's saying, allow this work of the Holy Spirit that is at, in resonance with you, indwelling in you. Allow God to use your life, to use your family, to put his glory, his power on display.
to live our lives honoring God wherever we go, 24-7, because I believe, and what I believe is revealed in these scriptures is that God has moved his address. God does not live in temples made by human hands, but God has extraordinarily expanded his ability as awesome as the tabernacle was in the Old Testament, we can claim the reality that we have a greater experience of the Spirit because all of us can experience the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in our life. God has not stopped working. God has not stopped filling his church and not stopped filling his followers. So this morning, my call to you is to live in the promise of God's presence, knowing that the Holy Spirit is promised to be with us forever, and that by your life, that you can put God on display, allowing him to show his glory through the way that you live differently in this world. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, it's an incredible reality to think of all these incredible events of the past. This presence that you promised to dwell with your people in a tabernacle and one day a temple and all the struggles that God people had to live that out. But now because of the work of Christ, you have given us a different spirit, a resurrected spirit, an indwelling spirit that can lead us, transform us, and guide us in following Christ. So for each and every person who's listening today, may we claim your all-surpassing power as we follow Christ day by day. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible promise, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.